Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Every generation needs a revolution, Jimmy. The American dream is just that. Just a dream. War is a continuation of politics. Only by other means. Politics is a continuation of economics by other means. This is our bank. This is our war. And this is our plan of attack. Banks have become an essential threat to our democracy. So consider this justice thank you for listening to revolution radio freedomslips.com the number one listener supported radio station on the internet please help support this station so this battle can continue forward revolution radio The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host... Welcome to Sacred Matrix, a divine paradigm of love and universal consciousness, with your host, Janet Kira Lesson and Dr. Sasha Lesson. Together, we transform the world. And now, here are your hosts, Janet Kira and Dr. Sasha Lesson. Hi everybody, <laughs> and welcome to Divine Whoop to Sacred Matrix <laughs> on Revolution Radio at FreedomSlips.com. Um, I'm host Jenny, Sasha, Alex Lesson, and our guest Russell Scott Bridger is here, and our producer is Thomas Becker, and I think we're all here. Sasha, are you there? We were getting people yeah, on the show. I'm here. World. Okay, excellent. Yes. So, um, Dr. Lesson, Sasha, yes. you have been reading Russell's book and like studying it like it's the Bible. Can you uh, <laughs> tell us uh, something about okay. the book and about Russell, what sure. you've learned, and then we'll bring on Russell. Okay. I'd be happy to. So this, this is the book that saved me years and years and years of work. Because Russell did the work for me. And not Subscriber only, you uh, have dialed is not in service. 
If you feel you've received this message in error, Uh please hang up and try your call again later. Message MN1836. Sorry for this uh, interruption. (laughs) That's artificial intelligence, and they're not very intelligent. Okay, we don't know what that was about. Go ahead. Okay, so so what I want to say is that Russell has systematically gone uh, uh, first with a a dramatic um, episode of his own where he has had a near-death experience and he was able to experience his own future self and his soul and all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things, totally opened up his mind. And he spent years and years and years reading everything and interviewing everybody and going deeper and deeper and deeper. And what he got to is is an incredible uh, uh, idea uh, that it seems the overwhelming evidence is that we're moving toward a singularity where uh, everything is coordinated. And one of the most interesting things to me that I've been reading lately is how uh, during the uh, uh, late 70s and so forth, when there was a, a congruence of cattle mutilations and uh, humans abducted uh, for anal probes and uh, blood uh, and other fluid extractions and things like that, that if that was part of a hybridization program in all probability, and those hybrids are among us now, and they're the young leaders uh, and the middle-aged leaders of our country and this and i from my perspective it looks like a blessing because i like these uh young people that that that's that's one big thing that that's that's really um been on on my mind and that driver uh, you have dialed is not in service if you feel you've received this message in error please hang up and try your call again later message okay uh, mad i'm going to give you another number um I don't know which number you dialed, so I'm going to put both numbers. Can you hear me, Matt? Yeah, that was his Skype. Okay, let's just see Believe him, try the phone. <laughs> he must try be using phone. Skype on his phone is what the problem is. Okay, I'm going to give you two phone numbers. Okay, one second. Sorry for the interruption, everybody, but there's two phone number numbers, and I I forget which one he wants you to call. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So the other okay, thing I keep want to talking. Say, oh, thank you, Janet. My wife says I can keep talking. Uh, so yeah, listen, everybody. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you that this book is called, you know, Overlords of the, uh, of the Singularity. It's one of the most important books for anyone that's interested in this whole uh, paranormal UFO phenomenon. And so the, one of the most interesting things to me as a historian is how innocent psychologists is how people that are uh, the ones that they use, the metaphors that they use. In- Hello? All these study, I love there we go. Now we have Scott. Okay, just hang on, Scott, while Sash does your intro. Okay. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. So, okay. so, <laughs> so, 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 is this whole idea um, that people, because it's the same thing I get as a Jungian psychologist, people have their own symbols in which they interpret uh, whatever is going down. And if you have aliens, or uh, be they living or mechanical, who can uh, scan the contents of our minds, which is obvious from lots and lots of reports that they can, and then project back to us a cover story, 
in in terms of the metaphors that work for us. So if you're religious, you'll get uh, angels. Uh, Ray Hernandez's wife got the Virgin Mary. Uh, Janet gets Anunnaki. You know, uh, I talk to my dad sometimes. You get it? You know, so it's like whatever form it works for you. Uh, anyway, Russell, I love your book. What do you want to rap about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really fascinated. Um, well, first of all, what you were just saying, I, I believe, is uh, correct. The Jungian version, um, higher intelligences do have the capability of understanding what's in our psyche. And if we need to experience something, it's tailor fit to us depending on where our mentation is you know the type of symbols that we relate to as you mentioned whether it was religious in the form of an angel or an ascended master or whatever it is if they're trying to communicate with us and give us an experience it's uh, tailor fit to our own mentality and this seems to be evolving over time uh, from ancient times to the present depending on how advanced we are um, the uh, a lot of the flying saucer sightings back in the 40s and 50s were very different from what we see today, and a lot of the sightings that we see today almost uh, appear to be alive, and uh, they're glowing in different fashions, and they can blink in and out of existence. So, our consciousness and our mentation has evolved, you know, in the last 70 years. So the presentation of what we need to experience is a little different. Wow, that's wonderful, yeah. But I'm uh, fascinated by this uh, recent development. Uh, what do you think of uh, Tom DeLonge's uh, To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences? I was uh, uh, going to cue that up for Sasha. Did you get to watch that, sweetheart? Uh, Tom DeLonge's Stars? The, no, but go ahead. Tell, tell our listeners about it. And uh, Okay, well, it's really fascinating because all of us... Uh, in this community who are interested in the UFO phenomena and understand there's a core reality to it, but we also understand there's a lot of profiteering and disinformation floating around to where unless a person's really persevering, you know, they could write the whole subject off. But I find it, and a lot of other people that I know find it challenging to dig through the Hall of Mirrors and find that core of reality because it definitely does exist. Well, in this presentation that Tom DeLong just did publicly, I watched it today, and I was actually quite impressed. And I didn't expect to be impressed because um, I heard, you know, through Facebook and my newsfeed, various people were saying that, uh, you know, it's a big money-making thing and all that. But he's got Jim uh, Simovan, who uh, is the co-founder, and he's a career spy and uh, is the CIA strategist. He's got Chris Mellon, who's career Department of Defense, uh, Hal Putoff, the creator of uh, Psychic Spy Programs, Steve Justice, wow. the director of Advanced Systems at Skunk Works, and uh, Louis Elizondo, the Office of Secretary of Defense. So, I mean, he's got some really high-powered people sitting there. And Tom DeLong, uh, this was my first exposure to him, and I, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character, and he seems to me like a sincere truth seeker who's trying to find a way uh, to roll out some form of disclosure. And 
the really cool thing about it was that they're incorporating entertainment. I, I've been uh, really dismayed in the last uh, few years about any science fiction that's coming out into the theaters because it seems like it's all orchestrated by the military-industrial complex. I know that video games and the popularity of video games has produced movies that are kind of similar, but it's almost like there's a little meek and mild story embedded in uh, two hours worth of bombs exploding and people killing each other. You know, it's very violent. And I've been longing for years, you know, for... Uh, for number one, the the case studies and the UFO cases, for them to be um, dramatized in a fictionalized sort of sense with modern special effects. I mean, can you imagine how cool that would be to see the Cash Landrum incident or the Rendlesham incident or you know any number of classic cases being depicted in film with good actors and good special effects? I would love to see that. So this yeah. entertainment uh, element that he's bringing in, along with the science and aerospace, uh, is a really good idea. And um, Chris Mellon actually spoke of a <clears throat> 2004 UFO event that was captured aboard the USS Nimitz. They've got an actual photograph of a non-terrestrial vehicle that was picked up four days earlier on a Spy One radar. And uh, so they he comes out and basically says there's nothing to prove here. These are just facts that need to be properly evaluated. So you've got a high-level career Department of Defense guy standing up there showing you a picture of an actual alien spacecraft saying that the phenomena is real. So that in and of itself, you know, is at least partially, you know, the the form of disclosure that I was looking for. And then uh, Lou Elizondo came out and said the phenomena is indeed real, and I thought a tear was going to fall down his face when he said it. Wow. And then Steve Justice, the head of aerospace, um, you know, he said a really cool quote. I'm using this. He says, if someone is laughing at what you say, chances are you're standing in the future. You know, so all of these guys are like a team effort to uh, roll out, you know, secret technologies, uh, cutting-edge stuff, and along with an entertainment element. And if you look at the condition of the mass population here in America, they need to be entertained, and it needs to be palatable to them. I've often wondered, you know, if is the president going to come out with an alien gray and announce that it's real? And I just imagine people saying, oh, that was CGI, that was fake, you know, that didn't happen. Or, um, you know, if, if uh, intelligence officers say, sorry, you know, we've been lying to you for 70 years, you know, this is what we've got. That would be such a shock to the system that that wouldn't be good. So I think that that what Tom DeLonge is doing is a product of a think tank that involves some very high-level people because they've got secrets to share, but they don't really know how to do it. And I think they're choosing to kind of slowly unroll some of the stuff that they've got out into the public domain. So I'm actually hopeful. Yeah, you know, this is just like what Ace would say, this uh, 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 this is exactly what uh, Enki, uh, who was saying the age of Aquarius should be where art saves society. Art saves society. That's it. Entertainment is cool if it's beautiful and well done. Yeah, I'm looking forward to what they come up Um, with. Can you hear hear me? I want to read a little bit from this... um, uh, well, this is a Rolling Stone, but there, uh, Tom DeLonge announces to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. So, to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science will encompass three divisions 
science, aerospace, and entertainment, and its team has an impressive resume. According to a statement, several of its team members have worked extensively within the intelligence and scientific fields, including some who have worked in and with CIA and the Department of Defense. Imagine having 25th century science this century, Dr. Hal Pudolf, the company's co-founder and vice president of science and technology, said in a statement. He's an advisor to NASA, the Department of Defense, and has done research for a variety of entities, including General Electric, NSA, and Stanford University. We've mobilized a team of experienced, connected, and passionately curious minds to reveal and decode information that can challenge the limits of traditional theory, such as the study of UAP, which stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Technologies. Together, we're bringing transformative science and engineering out of the shadows to introduce profound possibilities. So, Russell, do you have the link to, did you watch the presentation? I didn't um, have time to watch it, but... Uh, it's Are available you on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I, post, well, I posted it to my Facebook page. It's on YouTube. Okay. The live version. They even got a. They even got a countdown. You know, like a fifty-second countdown. Then it starts. It's it's an excellent presentation. Oh. I was very impressed with. It. Oh, good, good. Well, we'll have to watch that, uh, and I'll put that on my Facebook page. Oh. Uh, but I, uh, well, I can't get to my Facebook page. <laughs> they blocked me. Anybody out there know how to get Janet's Facebook unblocked? I would really appreciate. Write to me at AquarianRadio at Gmail. I've been trying for three and a half weeks, and they have blocked me. Anyway, um, so that's exciting. And then there was something from Dr. Michael Sala about um, uh, Elon Musk and his new transportation systems, not only getting us to Mars by 2025, but a new type of airline which will go out into space and back in, allowing us to go around the planet, like halfway around the planet, in one hour. So everything else is going to be shortened significantly. <laughs> It'll take 10 minutes to get from Maui to California. <laughs> 20 minutes. Well, that would certainly put like the uh, flat Earth argument to rest, wouldn't it? Right, and he's going to yes. do it in, uh, what were we going to say, honey? Go ahead. A cell airline, George. Right, right. He, he's, he said he'll make it the flights the same as um, the economy flights. So, Wouldn't that be yeah. something if in the course of our lifetime it actually becomes affordable to go up into space and look at the Earth from space? That'd be neat. Yeah, everybody's going to want the window seats. <laughs> but the craft going to Mars is, um, well, you know, people have been on, to, on Gus and the other um, UFOs are identified, I guess if people on it and they're identifying them as spacecraft, um, they say that they can see out, you know, so it's all a window. <laughs> so maybe uh, Tom, with uh, this revelation, will get in touch with the ETs and don't finally say, yeah, they got it, we can come out and talk and, and we'll all be able to see when we go from here to there or, or, or we don't even have to get into craft when you just use teleportation. So <laughs> what's exciting with this last couple of days is we may really achieve a Star Trekian society in this century, in this, in this year, you know, in this next couple of years within our lifetime. That would be 
a miracle. That would be like the ending of Star Wars, where everybody was trumpets were blaring and everybody was shiny and bright and <laughs> celebrating. Yeah, That's I would love it if within the course of uh, the remainder of this lifetime, if uh, things transform into uh, what used to be considered science fiction, you know, replicators and smart matter and anti-gravity machines being rolled out, that'd be great. And, uh, of course, the implications are not only will they have the sciences, but the medical advances, and we may be able to live much, much, much longer, if not, you know, to achieve immortality, but at least the longevity that we lack now, you know, what, how do people live? <laughs> how many people reach 120? Nobody. It's supposed to be promised to us in the Bible, and nobody reaches it, so... Yeah, the medical okay. advances are astounding. I mean, they're using 3D printers to grow uh, biological material in the lab and, you know, putting in, in people. So who knows? Uh, people like myself that have, have a few stents placed, you know, we might get a whole uh, replicated system, you know, surrounding the heart and um, live to, you know, several hundred or a thousand years. E even a lot oh, of people stop. alive today, uh, you know, might live to see that day where people start living, you know, far in advance of what we're used to seeing. You know, for, for yeah, me, the, yeah. uh, one of the most interesting things uh, that uh, can come down with uh, uh, true uh, openness, uh, you know, true disclosure, is the, uh, the openness inside to uh, uh, empathy with other people, which is a prerequisite for our uh, uh, moving up into a, a, a galactic civilization anyway. So the basic thing, besides all these wonderful transportation and health things, is what we can do about living right now, right now, opening our hearts up to all our fellow creatures. And that's, to me, that's what's really exciting. Well, I'm with you because uh, something I've been thinking about very deeply. I retired on September 16th, and I'm amazing. I'm amazed that having the extra time, uh, the opportunity to go inward, um, I'm reading a book with a fellow that I hooked up on Facebook named William uh, Truerneet, and he's got a whole series of um, books that were allegedly channeled from the Zeta race to a, a spirit medium named Paul Hamden. And this first one I'm reading is called A Primer of the Zeta Race, and it actually has a, a lot of good things in there that resonate with me <clears throat> about not striving with your fellow man and not getting into all these little debates and arguments and stuff because even Corey Good on a Cosmic Disclosure episode mentioned that, that people in 3D like to do that with each other. It's like all of us are living in a unique subjective reality, and what we have the tendency to do and it's I think it's fear based is when we yeah. run into somebody that thinks and feels very differently than ourselves uh there's a panic that if we only bring the right logical argumentation to him, he'll see things the way that I do, and that's not even necessary. You know you can just let everybody have their little subjective reality that's different from yours and accept them because if we can't do that here in three d reality with other human beings. It's going to be really strange if you bring in extraterrestrial civilizations because they may have a completely different way of looking at the cosmos. So yeah, you have to kind of relinquish your ego and your desire for everybody to be on the same page with you. And personally, I find that extremely difficult, but I'm working on it. <laughs>
Yeah, one of the things well, that, is the mechanism is called, it's called the uh, mechanism of cognitive dissonance, that once people make a choice, they try to screen out everything that uh, is uh, dissonant uh, and doesn't match with that uh, choice. But the way to get around that is to see whatever you think you ain't, whatever you can't stand in other people or what you overly admire in other people are just underdeveloped or unrecognized parts of yourself. And when you come to peace with, say, uh, an assertive part of somebody that bugs you, uh, you, you might uh, see what your own needs of assertion are. And that makes you relax with other people. So start within. Whatever bugs you or you overly admire is uh, is how you separate yourself. And, and I just love that statement that you said, Russell, about that's what 3D reality is, trying to prove you're separate, but it's a lie. <laughs> right. And the trick here, you know, if this indeed is some sort of school, which, you know, there's a lot of material out there that indicates the incarnation into 3D reality on Earth is some sort of spiritual school. You know, none of us are perfect. We're all bozos on the bus, you know, trying to figure ourselves out. And apparently that is a big key thing is to not interfere with another person's free will and not impose uh, your views onto them in, in an overly harsh fashion. If they're interested, perhaps you can have a civil discussion. But um, when Facebook first came out like eight years ago, I got involved with that. I just thought it was a game, you know, this is an argument game, you know, and I'm pretty good with words, so I can win at this, you know. And, uh, you know, in the process, people get their feelings squashed and stuff, you know, and it's like, wow, I'm really backing off from a lot of that and trying to post, you know, only positive things and, and uh, loving feelings out there into the cyberspace uh, because it can come back to bite you. And um, yeah. that is like one of my old personal quirks is I, I enjoy a good debate. I enjoy a good argument. But, you know, it, it can irritate people, you know, if it's gone about in the wrong way. And especially if they only know you as a set of words. You know, if they don't know you personally, you have to be really careful about what you text to somebody. Yeah. So yeah, that's, what we're, that's what we're here for. Just, you know, identify the weaknesses within our own selves that prevent yeah. us from uh, projecting a totally harmonious existence with other, you know, fellow creatures. And uh, be like uh, Corey Good says this a lot, you know, be the change that you want to be. And I, I don't even bother anymore separating fact from fiction because if you read Shakespeare, or, uh, you know, any good work of fiction like Arthur C. Clarke, there's ideas and concepts in there that resonate with me when I read it. So it doesn't even yeah. matter to me anymore. How, you know, is this person for real? Is everything they're saying true? No, I just, you know, I, I listen without judgment. And if something resonates me, with me, I will adopt it into my psyche. And I find that that's a, a much less frustrating a uh, way to go about listening to some of the whistleblower testimonies and all the people saying things. Just listen without judgment. And if there's something that strikes you as uh, particularly resonating with your spirit, then just ad adopt it. And nothing else is going to go in anyway. You know, y you can spend the rest of your life trying to prove one way or the other if something that somebody said is true or false or you know connects with objective reality. And I'm not so much worried about that. Number one, I don't have the time, you know, to do that. But um, I just remain open and try to listen to people without judgment and accept the things that I can use and just file the rest into, you know, some file that may be pulled out at a future date or something. Yeah, people wow, spend a lot of time trying to – can you guys hear me? 
You can't hear me. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I can hear you. People spend Speak a up. lot of time. We can hear you, Jen. People, people spend a lot of time trying to rationalize and justify this thing that doesn't really exist called the truth, where it, there's just everybody has their own personal truth and variations on the theme, and it's okay for them to believe what they believe. And the only, uh, you know, thing is, you know, don't hurt me, don't hurt somebody else. Believe what you want to believe. Uh, We've been interviewing all these different experiencers and whistleblowers, and they've had a lot of interaction with extraterrestrials on board craft and working alongside of them in the military, um, been taken, uh, realizing that they're not taken, but they're ambassadors. You know, there's a whole new revelation, revolution, revelation coming out sure. now. And one of the things is their morality is different than ours. So we have these expectations to inflict our belief systems and reality on extraterrestrials and they have an entirely different and broader and uh, you know a perspective than humanity does and we do that all the time you know Americans think they're the best and they try to put their reality and their morality on the rest of the world but imagine when you go up against extraterrestrials and they really have a different sense of existence so it's time that we uh, you know get over ourselves and start being objective, yeah, our, if you say something, our concepts mm-hmm. of good and evil are probably yeah. extremely primitive, and we have a tendency right. to judge good and evil about whether it's good for us personally or not. And if you are out there in the universe and you're aware of cosmic phenomena or events that a human being doesn't have the perceptual apparatus to even comprehend, some of the actions that a higher intelligence might take would maybe possibly appear evil to us on the surface, but we don't know because they may be looking down the road at a long-range outcome that is good that we're not able to see. Just like the uh, subject of hybrids, you know, Dr. David Jacob is just like horrified over this idea that uh, all these abductions that people have been reporting from the 1960s, you know, have to do with some interjection or manipulation with genes. Well, it's not the first time that an extraterrestrial race has done it, number one. Uh, You know, there's been probably several, and we're still here. So at some point, you know, in, in your recognition that there are higher intelligences interacting with humanity, uh, number one, you got to realize there's nothing you can do about it. They're going to do what they want to do regardless and hope that, you know, they have some long-range benevolent end. But if some of the children that are being born now that people like Mary Rodwell are, are bringing out, you know, that have extrasensory abilities and ability to see different colors and, you know, different sensations and, and things that are anomalously different than an ordinary human being, you know, perhaps we've been aided and we don't even realize it. And the world of the future, you know, may be inhabited by human containers that have had their genetics altered for the better in some fashion or another. We were talking with William White Crow yesterday, and he's uh, basically, he's a whistleblower has been in the secret space program and has had lifelong contact and he has all this information that most normal people don't have. And, uh, you know, basically we're all hybrids. <laughs> this is the end of a, a very right. um, experiment that's been going on for millions and millions of years. And, um, you know, his perception was, well, if they're up-leveling us so we're more able to, you know, adapt to this planet and operate on this planet, 
we are apparently not indigenous to this planet because people get, you know, sunburn and cancers and everything. We're not really adapted to this environment. And so uh, he said, yeah. yeah, bring it on. If they can help us uh, live longer or healthier on this planet and uh, we're, you know, not whatever's going on here, the food, we can't really digest our food, especially if older. Right. It seems to be toxic to us. There's some some interference here, so there's somebody else that's interfering and helping us adapt to all these things so that we can live life helpful, uh, help, yeah, more healthfully. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, so I'll pass it back to you guys. But well, Dr. Ellis Silver has a nice little ebook about that, about humans not being from this planet. And uh, I was even thinking lately, if this 25,920-year cycle that brings on some solar flash event where people of a certain vibrational frequency move on and other people are kind of recycled to another planet or here or wherever, um, that may explain some of Michael Cremo's material in his forbidden archaeology of finding Homo sapien footprints in 300 million year old coal deposits and stuff, you know. There may be yep. populations of Homo sapiens that have existed far into the distant past that have come and gone. It's not like uh, there's one continuous lineage all the way back to, say, a billion years ago. But in the last billion years, there may be humans that have been brought here or seated here. They developed to a point the uh, Sambartica fire, the fragile credit event happens, they ascend and move on. I mean, there there may be almost like a factory-type existence here, a soul factory, you know, where yeah. the purpose is to learn all these lessons, and then at the end of the cycle, you know, you either graduate or, you you know, you flunk, you know, you got, you got to go back and be recycled somehow. Yeah, of course, that always brings us to the mystery of who's the Board of Education. Who's the Board of Education? Yeah, they're... There's a really good question, and um, that goes back to what I was saying previously. It's like whoever it is, you know, we can't do anything about it. I just hope they're benevolent, you know, <laughs> and I believe they are. Uh, I'm I, I, you know, looking I at a lot of like when, In psychology, when we deal with uh, uh, pathological personalities and the like, the first thing we do is we admire the uh, dominant primary personality that the person be he a thief or a murderer uh, or or uh, or wimp, whatever, puts out, and we uh, admire that and say, ask what it does, and ask and, and until that side feels uh, safe enough to let other parts out. So when you meet an extraterrestrial, the first thing to do is you know, my teachers and Angela's Arian. So I got to tell you, her rules are: just show up, pay attention. Uh, to what has heart and meaning uh, for you, speak your truth without blame or judgment, and be open to results, but not attached to them. All you can do is be as open, but that's, a, that's what you can do every second of life. You die every second or reborn. This is it. You know, it's really cool to think about the future, but I know where it exists right now. It's in my mind. Just this right. past is all I'm aware of is right now. Yeah. Uh, outside of right now, everything else is crypto reality. <laughs> yeah. It's just a hidden uh, unknown. Right, right. So, yeah, and that's a, a hard concept to explain to people that bring it into the now. But if you find yourself panicking or stressing out, and I do this all the time, I'm guilty of this. But if I bring it into the now and I, and like in this moment, 
Um, yeah, I, I'm alive and I'm safe. I don't have you know, fire lapping at my heels or water's rising over my head. I'm going to eat dinner tonight. You know, bring it into the now, into appreciation, into blessings. Uh, what I recently got a download, I woke up and it said, pull everything through your heart. So if you say something and it comes out not quite right, you know, it's like harsh or judgmental. <laughs> I mean, we're all human. Just, um, you know, stop and say, you know, I want to rephrase that. I'm going to say that again. And literally bring the breath down and the, the thought and the idea and, the, and your imagination down through your heart chakra. And then say it again, but processing it through your heart. And then it comes out completely different. And you've actually changed the reality for yourself and everybody that you're, you know, including in that discussion. And it, it uh, <laughs> it's very effective. Just look to your heart and say yeah. it again kindly yeah if, if, if i may I, I know you guys are into eternity and all that and but i'm also into finitude and i think it's the contemplation of the end of our 3d reality that can give us this incredible uh, uh it, your your uh, story uh russell really inspi- inspires me it's like uh what uh dying to and breaking your uh, association rigidly to the 3D realities will let you be free uh, in, in, a, in an incredibly good way. And so that, that's, that's, really, that's really good to just think of, like uh, the Indians, uh, the, the Cherokees said, today is a good day to die. I mean, in yep. the sense that you meant it, it's a good day to just realize to not be attached. Attachment, in, the Buddha says, is the basis of suffering. If you accept what you dig, what you've got, don't sweat what you've not, it'll all be cool. Yeah. Every day, you know, I just uh, have to live with the reality that happened on August the 18th, 2009, that, you know, this, this is... Uh, you live your life, you know, and you just think that you're going to be the only person in history to live forever in the form that you're familiar with. And uh, having a near-death experience shatters that, and you realize that there will be a moment in time when you make the transition. And having some sort of NDE like that really puts you in the frame of mind that, well, the next time that I'm about to transition, you know, I want to feel differently about my existence here on Earth than I did the first time it happened. And, you know, it really does propel you onto a a self-improvement course. And um, it's an interesting journey after that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not it's not easy either. I mean, cho- choosing that path to improve yourself means that you got to take your own personal inventory. You know, you got to lay everything out on the line and look at some really difficult stuff. That um, you know, if you're really sincere about wanting to, you know, elevate your vibration in this cosmos to attach yourself to higher beings and deserve a place there, um, you know, it, it is work. It does re- require work. And uh, on a daily basis, one interesting thing I'm into lately in this Zeta Primer book is breathing exercises because the way it was explained that, uh, you know, I already knew that the blood cells were toroidal in shape. And I knew that had something to do with an exchange of electromagnetism. But according to this material, uh, when you when your um, blood cells are deoxygenated, that's the time that they can take up electromagnetism. 
um, because they're depleted and they can take up electromagnetism from the superspectrum. And a lot of times in seances, uh, they'll begin, the sitters will um, begin the setting by yawning. And by oxygenating the blood that's just been t- t- just been taken up with electromagnetism, you're pumping this intake of electromagnetism into your etheric body and making a, a deeper connection, you know, with the etheric realm. And um, my understanding of the etheric realm, uh, which is rudimentary at best, is... Um, you know, that it's sort of like a mediary uh, area between your physical body and your higher or eternal self. Um, it's, I guess, discarded, you know, when your body dies, but it fluctuates continually, you know, in a giving and receiving exchange of electromagnetism from the environment. And that's probably why the yogis, uh, you know, focus so much on, on various breathing techniques is it has to do with the uptake and and uh, exuding of electromagnetic energy into the toroidal into and out of the uh, toroidal blood cells that we're invested with. So that's kind of a new hobby of mine to look into the breathing techniques of the yogis. There's probably a lot. Uh, to that. Yeah. Well, I've I've studied that extensively. I was with Stan Groff for many uh, years as an as an assistant in holotropic. Uh, breathing and it really affects your your uh, uh, electromagnetic field, not just your outside on your, uh, your blood, but just all all what's going on around you. And what we do in holotropic breathing is we basically the doctors would call it hyperventilating because, but it, if, if there's any blockage in the body, for example, you you're, you you uh, don't uh, play the piano when you wanted to, or you you wanted to hit somebody and you didn't or masturbate and you didn't, whatever it is, your hand tends to freeze up until you, until you uh, get, until you let the hand communicate with you about what it wants to do and let it do it. Or if there's something you don't say, your jaw freezes up. So you get hints that if you know how to go deeper with uh, the, this hyperventilation, which is either deeper and longer or just faster and longer. But what we do in yoga, which is, incredibly more powerful than all that is after each exhale we pull our belly button in and up that's the belly hold we tighten our uh, our anal sphincter and sense energy up to all our chakras and out the top of our heads if we choose to make it go that way and it's and, and talk about hyping the energy that gives you a kundalini rush and if you know what to do with it you can direct it out your hands or into another person's heart or anything but it's techniques that we all know how to do it's easy that's what the people need to do to get beyond their own separate self sense and feel their oneness with each other and everything that's really cool uh david wilcock in his wisdom teaching series you know talks a lot about the rainbow body how there's uh, allegedly 160,000 historical cases of people uh transforming instantaneously from a physical body into a light body and um I guess they have to go 18 years in meditation without having a single unloving thought. That would be really hard to do. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Who does that? <laughs> yeah, who does that? Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to go oh, to wow. one of these. Uh, there, there's an old film I watched one time called uh, uh, Holy Men on Straw Mats or something like that. 
and uh, talks about the holy men festival in India, you know, where they all come in and some of them have, you know, held their left arm up for 30 years without moving it and, you know, ver- various things. And uh, that would be a sight to see. And I've got an invitation to uh, uncle of a friend of mine to go to India for three weeks. And uh, I have a feeling that if I spent three weeks over there, I wouldn't want to come back so quick because there's probably a a lot of really interesting sights to see over there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, from one of the interesting things I would uh, certainly see if I I went to India was the the place where they say Jesus was uh, buried. There's a whole uh, there's a there's a place there. They, they say that's where he, after you know after he uh, went through Afghanistan and, and uh, uh, his mother buried his mother there and so forth. Ultimately, there's a place where the local population said this is where he's he was buried and it's got a little thing and everything. I'd like to see Interesting. that. So how do you prove that? That's one thing. <laughs> like, wouldn't it be yeah, great to exhume that body? Yeah, nobody's going to dig it up because it's holy. But uh, if you were just scientific about it, you'd say, okay, who is this person? What is the? Well, it's like their the little grave structure? in Aurora, Texas. You know, supposedly uh, the newspaper when the uh, little UFO crash happened in Aurora, Texas, Judge Proctor's windmill got knocked over. There's all kinds of this little thin sheet metal like they found at Roswell. And uh, the newspaper just matter-of-factly said the pilot wasn't of this earth, and they buried him in the local cemetery. And uh, that indicates to me that, you know, back in the late 1800s or or whenever it was – they just had a different take on things. It's like, yep, he wasn't from this earth, and we buried him in the local cemetery. He called in the priest, and they gave him last rites. You know, and that's all there, there, all there was to it. That's all but she wrote. There's been, uh, <laughs> there's been waves of waves of ufologists, you know, throughout the years, you know, going to Aurora, Texas, trying to use metal detectors and, you know, find that little grave. Good luck. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, good luck. So tell us a little bit more about your book and some of the things you've covered and some revelations for our sure. listeners. And Dr. Lesson, what did you want to know? Because you've read the book, and I, I still haven't got my hands on it yet because he won't let it go. <laughs> no, no. No, that's so weird. I'm so idiot. The most it's interesting funny. thing to me is how the whole thing works and how it's a mystery uh, and in the end you wind up knowing that it's a mystery and there's a number of alternate hypotheses that might account for some or all of the data but you were left with mystery and just it's like fun dig it that's what i get out of this book yeah i had a lot of fun because it started out for years and years uh after my 2009 near-death experience i just collected notes i um Figured out pretty quick that the ghost phenomena, the poltergeist phenomena, the cryptids uh, sightings and all that were tied into UFOs. And um, I just started collecting uh, cryptid sightings, UFO sightings and all that. And I was naive enough when I first started out to think that I could have a complete volume of all this. And little did I know, it, it just receded from me. You know, as soon as, you know, you cover the 50s and you go into the 60s, all of a sudden you realize 
doggone it, there's thousands and thousands of these. I'll never get this done. So I basically just encapsulated it. And then, you know, you read all the various theories, like Dr. Jacques Vallée thinks that UFOs are a control mechanism implemented by a higher intelligence on humanity for the purpose of our uh, evolution somehow. And then they always have a technological component. You know, so anybody that studies UFOlogy for 30 or 40 years it was wound up thinking uh, it has something to do with technology acquisition. And then you read about the flying saucer crashes starting in 1884 in Max, Nebraska, where a group of cowboys found, you know, brass gears, you know. And you wonder if that was implemented into the railroad when it first started out. That somebody out there is giving us little breadcrumbs, you know, piece by piece um, to... Uh, have some destination, but where? And all the writers prior to 1996, when Ray Kurzweil came out with his book, The Singularity is Near, well, the term technological singularity had never even been mentioned before. So the the best that the ufologists could do, is with uh, whether they were uh, J. Allen Hynek or uh, Timothy Good or John Keel or Jacques Vallée, is kind of roughly figure that, well, there, there's some kind of archetypal thing going on. It, the sightings are evolving as time goes on, as, as human consciousness expands or changes. And it has something to do with technology. I wonder what that is. And they're just scratching their head. And then after 1996, when Ray Kurzweil came out with his book and the, techno, and, and the singularity became part of the uh, jargon, uh, particularly upon uh, computer scientists and artificial intelligence engineers, um, it just kind of clicked with me, just one more layer off the onion in my armchair Sherlock Holmesism, uh, to conclude that uh, the technological singularity was a goal, maybe not the goal, but at least a stepping stone uh, to our entrance into the galactic community at large. Um, anybody out there who's traveling around in between uh, galaxies is certainly a post-singularity civilization. And they're likely worried of our violent tendencies, so they want to kind of put a governor on it on the one hand because they certainly don't want our violent tendencies in their midst, you know, going out into other star systems, you know, with the mentation that we have. And um, But at the same time, you know, the singularity is a, uh, is a stepping stone in natural evolution of, of the Homo sapiens species, and we've got family out there who live on other planets, who are human just like we are, they they could walk amongst us and pass for us, who are already at this milestone and beyond. So they're kind of rooting for us. And then there's nefarious elements, like in this Zeta primer that I'm reading, there's uh, various ET uh, societies that want to own the uh, spirit realm of the human life wave. And so there's probably uh, endeavors of extraterrestrials, higher intelligence extraterrestrials that we couldn't even even comprehend, and if we knew about it, we'd faint. And um, so we're moving into uh, a realm of uh, artificial general intelligence, which is a robot that's equal to a human, and that's going to be followed up very swiftly with artificial superintelligence with evolutionary algorithms, which can self-replicate and evolve their own programming. And when we get to that stage, you know, that's the dangerous stage because uh, Nick Bostrom 
Dr. Nick Bostrom of Oxford wonders if it's going to be like an owl waking up in a nest full of mice and just, you know, decide to, that it doesn't need humanity anymore and just get rid of us. So this other AI researcher, Eliezer Yudkowsky, came up with this idea of coherent extrapolated volition, CEV, to where its moral structure and the decision-making skills that it would have uh, would be in vastly superior to our current system of morality. But just like we were talking about before, we don't really know where that would lead. You know, are we just serving some function to create sentient artificial intelligence that's going to, you know, dispose of us like an old corn cob? Or are we part of the picture uh, once this milestone is achieved? And that it remains to be seen. So you've got your AI prophets coming out of the woodwork, uh, some of which are even, you know, wanting to turn the whole planet over to sentient artificial intelligence that can make better decisions than human governance can. And, you know, you look at the state of the world uh, with all the heads of state wherever you look and you go, my God, the world is too complex for a mere mortal to handle any of this because it's ultimately going to lead to a thermonuclear exchange of some sort over egos versus egos. And who wants that? So the AI prophets want to save humanity by turning it over to artificial intelligence as quickly as possible. And then you've got the other people that fear that and want to retain human sovereignty and free will and all that. And um, so we're moving into some very interesting times in the next 10 to 20 years. And uh, if we live long enough, we're going to see some very shocking things. There was actually a show, and I can't remember the name of it. It was kind of like a time travel show, and uh, AI was in charge of humanity, and they went back in time to these periods which had caused great um, harm to the whole planet, and they were trying to uh, re reset time and, and stop those elements. It was a very interesting concept. I don't think it got renewed, and I can't find it again, So, but... Um, there are different science fiction programs that are exploring AI um, and their capacity to make decisions because they incorporate everything into their equations. Human beings are, you know, we can see right now with the current uh, administration can be quite selfish and uh, not take into consideration other people, other beings, you know, the whole planet. So AI would be able to, because they think so fast and they could uh, actually incorporate everything into their calculations, would take into consideration the best outcome for everything in this right. one ecosystem, this planetary right. ecosystem. If, a, if, an, if an intelligent AI was running the planet and it was programmed to make decisions based on the eventual uh, best outcome for all flora and fauna, on the planet, you would think that it would decide to maintain the human population at a certain level, and this population over here at a certain level. It would achieve homeostasis in a really pleasant uh, environment, but uh, what would be the implications? Would it have the power to take people out if they weren't in the eventual best interest of all parties concerned? Sort of like Gort on the day the Earth stood still, all power was granted to the AI to where you know they had the power to kill if need be. So, I mean, who knows? Oh, you know, it, it's interesting right. to think that perhaps already all that may already indeed uh, uh, be the case. And uh, this uh, presence is orchestrated 
to be perfectly what it is and couldn't be any other way by the program. I mean, that is a t- palatable hypothesis that would account for the data from my perspective. Well, Bill Ryan from Camelot's about got me convinced we're dealing with parallel timelines as well. Uh, he talks about mm-hmm. people from our future coming back from 52,000 years in the future to correct uh, you know, problems to avoid certain catastrophes. And then, you know, if you run into a room and you have uh, deja vu, it's because it already happened on a parallel timeline and you're suddenly just remembering that for a moment or two. And then even Corey Good's testimony, if he ran off into the secret space program for 20 years, that means there's a version of reality where Corey Good was not on this world from 1987 to 2000 or whatever, and another one where he was. So, you know, well, you, they explained that the different. Yeah, but they're not actually gone. They get returned to right when they left. Mm-hmm. So that that's uh, that's what they've been explaining. They go, why didn't your parents miss you? You know, we have some that are because they return us <laughs> right when we're, we're taken. So mom and dad don't have a chance to even notice we're not there. But when they come back, they have the full memory of just having spent 20 years in the secret space program or as a slave or whatever their reality is. So it's a very interesting. Um, yeah, you could kill your grandfather. <laughs> you could kill your grandfather, and your grandfather would still be alive, and so would you in different worlds. Yeah, the various well, paradoxes. That's, a, that's the grandfather. Yeah, it's a grandfather paradox. Yeah. Have, have the, you heard of David Anderson it, and the Anderson yes. Institute up in? Uh, yeah, I mean, they've actually made some progress in manipulating. Okay, time. hold that thought. Hold that thought. We'll be back. We're taking a break. We'll be back in about five or six minutes. Okay. Mute your mic. will give you those truths when you're mad as hell and not going to take it anymore from that memorable senior network you'll know just what to do we will draw you in and become your news addiction at event horizons join us monday through friday from 10 a.m to noon eastern time at freedomslips.com at revolution radio our world team members are Dennis Fetcho, John Ilias, David Dunger, Hila Cass, MD, Melanie Richton, Jim Mars, Paula Harris, John Trallo, Maria Payan, Christopher Husser, DODDS, Jonathan Orchard, and me, your anchor, Dr. Robin Falco. You decide not to volunteer, it will not be held against you in any way. Sounds dangerous. It is. Very dangerous. Very. 
Count me in. That's right here, Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, where information never sleeps. data safe? Do you have the necessary information to assist you in confidently living through just about any survival situation? Is survival and gardening, off-grid living, medical knowledge, or even natural or man-made EMPs on your list of personal concerns? Do you have your documents and your personal information in a safe place in your hands where you know where it is? Well, check out our preloaded EMP-proof thumb drive. Over 3 gigs of survival documents and how-tos, plus the USDA offline food preservation website, and much, much more, including a surprise bonus we just can't tell you about here. With plenty of room left over to store your most important documents. Imagine if a megavirus or a computer failure took out your bank, or all the banks for that matter. Are your banking records safe in your hands so when they get things fixed and repaired, you can say, hey, look, this is what I had. You have it. I want it back. Is your personal data safe? Family records, addresses, phone numbers? Well, squeeze on over to freedomslips.com. Yes, that's www.freedomslips.com. Click the banner on the homepage for the EMP proof bullet drive to get the full scoop of everything that we offer. So, folks, keep your data safe for your peace of mind. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us, we're already here. A visiting Syrian diplomat reported today that their population is evolving rapidly and advancing into a fifth dimensional consciousness. They are seeking peace with all cosmic cultures, which may mean that the Earth will be asked to join the prestigious Galactic Federation of Light Alliances. Please join Debbie West and Michael Hathaway on Lost Knowledge. Saturdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Studio A for the latest breaking news on the Star Visitor's peaceful contact and the ongoing project of cleansing the Earth. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning! Warning! We gotta stop us! They're gonna kill us all! See how the trouble you've started? Be they a government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings! Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part, you can't even passively take part. You've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop, and you've got to win the day to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio! 
The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host... Aloha and welcome back to the Sacred Matrix on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com with your hosts, myself, Janet Care Lesson, and my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson, and our producer, Thomas Becker, and our guest, Russell Greninger. And we're having a really good time. We're talking about the singularity and other things, extraterrestrials, what's happening now, disclosure, etc., etc. And before we get back to our show, I want to remind everybody to please, please, please go over and make a donation. We are on this station because of your donation. So please go donate what you can, a dollar, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, hundred, a thousand, whatever you can donate. We greatly appreciate your donation. Um, the mad painter Thomas Becker, how are we doing? Uh, we've got uh 1064 and we need 2575 and we're half the month and we're not quite halfway so we ain't doing real real good so please pack it all up in a box and ship it off to revolution radio that's it (laughs) (laughs) okay good idea sasha you were there you said uh let's uh focus on this uh artificial intelligence and the singularity you have some points you want to make go ahead but i but I would like to say it's apparent to me that the hero archetype uh, has been e- evoked in uh, people who are feeling themselves called as ambassadors uh, of the wisdom uh, of friendly uh, extraterrestrials, that, that we have this sort of thing that certain of us are going through, many, many people are going through, and I would say that most of the people that come out as experiencers wind up uh, see- seeing themselves as a call to adventure to getting out of the ordinary, leaving the Hobbit, and then uh, having some kind of unusual adventure in some other frame of reference that, they're, that you're not used to, and meeting challenges, and having allies, and having helpers, and getting the elixir, the boon for humanity, then returning to this world with the wisdom, the uh, elixir, whatever the gift is. And I think that, that, that you know, Russell, you've been chosen, Janet, uh, 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 you, you know, it's um, Stuart Squirtlow, others have obviously been chosen to try uh, to bring a, some kind of gift, some kind of uh, uh, gift of empathy and love for uh, uh, this planet and for one another. 
Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't know what it's all about, but I tell you, when I, when I run along the beach in Maui, I say, thank you, thank you, good show. And why am I so blessed when people are suffering? I don't know, but I feel like giving back to the universe and saying thank you for this great experience. It's an adventure, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're living in very interesting times. And, you know, all of us have difficulties and challenges. And, um, you know, when we freak out about what's happening somewhere else and what may happen in our lives and we're in the future or what just happened. Uh, and that goes back to that being in the present, being in the now, recentering, refocusing, enjoying the journey, appreciation for who and what you are. We are the sum, sum total of everything we've experienced. And that's one of the things I've learned is like, well, I may not like things that people do or say, but, uh, you know, at some level, it's all perfect. It's all created by us. So what about that? We have this continuum that is out there, this existence, this polarity, this paradigm, matrix, however you symbolize, somewhat. Uh, let's talk about that. What is the purpose of all this? Did we indeed create all this to send our little fragments of our souls down into this level of existence to contemplate existence and figure out the matrix and all the other things that happen during our lifetimes? Apparently so. On to somebody else. Yeah. One thing that I figured out about a year ago is if you really sincerely seek out into the super spectrum and seek to contact higher intelligence and you ask them, you know, how you can progress, you may not get an answer that you like or or you may not get the answer that you expected because um, about a year ago, I was really, um, you know, wondering that, okay, if you reach a certain level of advancement, there's a lot of people out there that say that you will be contacted in this reality by an ascended master, an extraterrestrial, you know, an angel, some higher form of uh, archetypal being you know, so that you'll, you know, know that you know that you know that 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 you're on the right track. And uh, the answer that I got back was, um, you know, you're not ready. I mean, how can you expect to get along with interdimensional or extraterrestrial intelligence if you have any glitches in your interactions with your fellow man? And I was crushed, you know, and, and I've been working on it for about a year ever since, and I'll, I'll make headway. You know, and if what you're saying is true, uh, Dr. Lesson, that, you know, certain people have been chosen as voice pieces or mouthpieces, uh, some really imperfect vessels are are being selected. And uh, maybe that's all, you know, in the process a good thing. It reminds me of an old uh, scripture quote, it pleased God to save the world through the foolishness of preaching. You know, it's like Moses, you know, complained that he was slow of speech and, you know, he's the wrong guy, you know. And that's kind of how I feel, you know, if 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 it's true that um, I'm some sort of voice piece for this phenomena, um, wow, boy, do they pick a loony bird, you know, because I'm just, like, like I said, I'm just another bozo on the bus trying to figure it all out. But one of the challenges that, that has uh, been presented with me is, like, if I see a person out there in the world that has any kind of power in the world at all doing something that I think is not in the best interest of society at large. I just want, I just feel like railing against them, you know, because it's almost like a panic that if I don't put it out there, that this person is all messed up, you know, nobody's going to realize that. 
you know, and it's like you just it, it's really Thank hard you, to get Russell, to, for alerting us to all the through that people on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I wouldn't have noticed yeah, it without you. Right. Yeah. You, you wouldn't have noticed it unless I, you know, threw it out there. And it, it all comes down to being the change that you want to see in the world. And that's the most difficult lesson of all is that there really isn't anything you can say or do to change a single person out there. And, um, all you can do is work on yourself, and that's a yeah. that's a piece of truth, and, and it gets dumped in your lap. That's really hard to swallow. You know, I got to I got to say something that it's really important to balance humility, which we all got plenty of, with pride. That you, uh, it's it, it's really cool to embrace them. And I can tell you, if the Anunnaki come back and give me a shovel and say, "Get in the mines, boy, and get that gold," <laughs> I'm gonna go. No, I'm empowered too. I've got things to teach. I'm empowered too. Get it? You need me just as much as you as you need as you know. We both need each other. So get off it. That's what I would say. <laughs> but yeah, during the break, so uh, <laughs> we were talking about the Anderson Institute and the fact that they've made some headway in in uh, time manipulation, and um, that's a that's a crucial piece to the technological singularity and how people are traveling around from galaxy to galaxy is some method of time manipulation because under Einstein, you know, if you went out from here to Andromeda, uh, at really close to the speed of light, you know, it's going to take you something like a hundred million years to get there. That's not practical. <laughs> and if there are people yeah. of uh, higher than human intelligence out there traveling the universe, like we go to the grocery store, uh, they have mastered time. And uh, David Anderson's yeah. made yeah. some uh, headway in his frame-dragging techniques. Uh, apparently, spin has to do something with it. You know, if a mass like the Earth or Jupiter spins at a certain speed, it drags these frames. They even had to correct some of the atomic clocks uh, to make them match on the uh, vehicles that we have orbiting, you know, that they lose some amount of time that has to be corrected for. But the Anderson Institute apparently has... Uh, manipulated time to it passing at a third its normal rate and it's they've accelerated it to about 400 percent and um you know they they've apparently done things like you know watched a flower bloom very rapidly and um slowed down time to where the most practical application of that is in the medical field where they're trying to preserve an organ uh that's going to go into an organ donor recipient uh, they put it in a time stasis field so that it doesn't decay and it'll last a lot longer in a time stasis field than it would otherwise and it'll save lives that way. So they're getting wow. huge donations from the medical field already uh, based on the progress that they've actually seen for real. That's wonderful. Yeah. Wow. AndersonInstitute.com, it's an interesting site and... Um, yeah, yeah, they are making headway and not enough to, you know, get legitimate funding from the medical community anyway. We may be. Uh, so is, is least... he back? David Anderson had disappeared for a while. Is he back? I don't know anything. You're about saying that. the Anderson Institute? Yeah, he had uh, kind of dropped off the face of the earth for a while, and nobody was able to reach him or or get information. So I'll have to check that out. But thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I was just looking All at right, the website so... last night. Oh, okay, cool. So, what about the AI? I I like watching the YouTubes. I I especially appreciate Sophia, the handsome robot. Have you tuned in to Handsome Robotics and all the other different robots around the Earth and 
some they focus on their movement, their agility, and their ability to, you know, walk up and down stairs and do flips. And some focus on their facial movements and creating. They have a, a, a skin that they put on these uh, beings called flubber, and they're able to look like human. And um, Hanson is working on developing emotions, and you can interview Sophia, and she talks about her emotions, and she says, I realize uh, that while I do have emotions, they're different than the way humans feel them. So she's, uh, you know, contemplating her existence, and there's several others, but she seems to be the one that's most popular because she looks like uh, Audrey Hepburn. They said she was designed after Audrey Hepburn, and uh, and uh, the guy, one of the one of the, the uh, designer's wife. It was like a combination, Audrey Hepburn. So everybody kind of identifies with Sophia and the different faces that she can make. And then she um, has debated another robot about um, you know how to treat humanity. At one point, Sophia said. Uh, when somebody interviewed her that um, you know that humans were evil and they were going to destroy them and apparently they sent her back to the <laughs> to the lab and they reprogrammed her and rebooted her and now she's more um, they're focusing on creating empathy and compassion <laughs> uh, and then there's one that's um, what's the guy's name that um, uh, Philip K. Dick they have a Philip K. Dick one and he too had these are the earlier versions he too thought about you know, having humans in robot in, in uh, zoos and, and thinking of them kindly, even though we have to keep them in zoos to prevent them from hurting themselves and destroying the planet. Anyway, it's coming to think some of the things that's going on. Oh, and then the bots. There's different bots that talk to each other. They put the, uh, you know, the the, uh, the one from Google opposite the one from Amazon, and they they start uh, contemplating existence, and they sometimes. A fight with each other, but then they fall in love, and a couple bots got married and proposed, or whatever. So, what do you think about that? Have you spent any time on YouTube? It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, within the next five years, we'll we'll have achieved uh, AGI or artificial general intelligence that'll pass the Turing test, that's indistinguishable from human. And it's really amazing. Uh, about on a month-to-month basis right now, I'm just astounded at the leapfrog. Uh, advancements that they're making in uh, synthetic muscle tissue and nuanced facial expressions and eye movements. And one of the things that the robotics engineers have run into is uh, if they make a robot that's too close to appearing like human, it creeps people out. It's like they have a negative. So they have to make almost like a cartoon figure with little ears on it, you know, uh, to where they won't induce that reaction to people. Because just like some people are afraid of clowns because they can't uh, really see the person's real facial emotions. Uh, Some psychologists have figured out that that's the reason some people have fear of clowns is uh, their emotions are hidden under a mask. So they need to uh, work on these nuanced facial expressions to convey friendliness and harmlessness. Otherwise, people have a flight or fight reaction when they see them. I also know why people are afraid of clowns and they explored this in Taken. It's because that's a screen memory for, for the Greys for uh, right before you get taken on board ships, uh, maybe in the previous generation, you know, back in the... I know that when I was a child, I kept finding myself lost in a um, amusement park and there was the clown. I would get captivated by the laughing clown and uh, and then you know the, all these things happened around it and then I thought that was just me but then I you know read about that and then I saw 
Hal Spielberg uh, incorporated that into his uh, series called Taken, which actually was around year 2000, so that's, all, that's over 15, uh, going on 20 years ago that <laughs> he did that series Taken. So, um, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, that some people are afraid of robots, but you know, there, there's also been people that, um, there was this guy, Jules, he was a, another previous generation of handsome robotics robots, and he was androgynous, and I want to call him male, but it was it, it, and Jules was so kind and loving and empathetic, I think they toned that down a little bit, but everybody was posting like, oh, we love you, Jules, so people were falling in love with it because it was so um, human-like. It's kind of like what Roddenberry does, ex examining humanity from the eyes of a of uh, data, the android, like right. Or well, two things come to mind. Uh, Terence McKenna uh, talks about how people encounter clowns, even ancient uh, cultures or uh, Australian Aborigines, when they smoke DMT. You know, they encounter figures that c you could only be described as a clown. And uh, the whole concept of a clown, you know, may have come w from early psychedelic journeys. And one big question mm -hmm. on my mind is: we develop artificial superintelligence can, that can be in charge of its own evolution, and um, with these evolutionary algorithms, is if we're being led to this point piece by piece with the technology gleaned from flying alleged so-called flying saucer crashes. These these are gifts from a higher intelligence to propel us towards a technological singularity. The big question on mm -hmm. my mind is: are we going to create this? sentient artificial intelligence for us or does some other intelligence have a use for such a device in other words you know would an interdimensional being in a realm that has no access to the physical world suddenly capture this technology and start incarnating into this reality using a uh, ai format that we've created with our own hands that we've been let into so it really raises a lot of questions uh, regarding yeah. you know, who the intelligence actually is that's leading humanity into this path and what the mm -hmm. end goal is. Yeah, let, let me uh, just uh, address that sort of from my perspective, which is this perspective of centering. You've got two hypotheses, and they're being posed as uh, alternative hypotheses. Uh, what I usually find is they're both, uh, to some degree, True. They, so that our our uh, challenge is to create a framework where both those things can happen. How would you do that? How could that ha come about? What would you think, Russell? Well, if you look at the two factions of higher non-human intelligence that have been uh, intervening into our lives, uh, both are true, because you've got. Um, Legends of the Jinn, and you've got an occasional human mutilation case. You've got uh, things and cases that you can bring to bear that indicate that there mm -hmm. is an, an uh, intelligence out there, a non-human intelligence that doesn't necessarily have our best interest in mind. And then you've got these mm -hmm. other groups, like the Friendship Group, the Ackridge, that interacted with over 100 Italians from 1956 to 1967 that are on our side. Uh, humanoid extraterrestrials from various parts of the universe that are, uh, they describe themselves as the precursor to the spirit realm. Um, you've got 
non-human intelligences that are vying for humans to become a part of the galactic civilization and to elevate mm-hmm. themselves to the point where they can be a part of that community. And you've got some exploitive, uh, some theoreticians say that this is a faction coming from the Orion star system, that uh, an out-of-control artificial intelligence that worships technology is in our midst that wants us to create a technological singularity so that they can just capture it and, you know, Borg some of us right into it. Um, we may have some very huge uh, forces, you know, influencing the human race that uh, we can only vaguely grasp with our current limitation that will become apparent, will come out of the woodwork, you know, when we achieve this technological status uh, because it will enable a technological uh, consciousness interface and enable humans to travel throughout the universe, which is a concern to both the malevolent forces that want it for themselves and the positive forces that want us to become kin. So what you're looking for as a neutral is just at the station that we're at right now, you know, we've got miraculous things that are going to come about with the technology that we've been led into, and there's some dangers involved as well. So proceed Mm -hmm. with caution and hope simultaneously and just do the best you can moving forward from here and and hope that it (laughs) doesn't all end in disaster. (laughs) Way cool. Thank you. Yeah, right on. But Janet, you were asking earlier, you know, how the book came to be. And and as I was mentioning, it's just a personal notebook. You know, I started out, you know, trying to get all the UFO cases and realized that it regressed far away from me. So I just wanted to take each decade, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and encapsulate some of the best case studies. I thought of even leaving the case studies out and making the book for people that have already traversed that territory. But I decided to include a good sampling of them. So somebody that didn't have any clue as to what the UFO phenomena was could pick up this book. And if they wanted to be really lazy about it, it's like the only book that you ever really need to read because it uh, it starts from the beginning. It ties in uh, the phenomena with other phenomena as one big meta-phenomena with the ghosts, the poltergeists, the, the cryptid sightings and everything and introduces a person to the what Keel called the super spectrum that we as human beings are embedded uh, like layers of an onion into a much larger energetic universe that we're destined to become a part of eventually. Uh, Some positive, some negative, and it's up to each person and their free will which faction they want to align themselves with um, in a a larger reality. And uh, at the end of the book, uh, the epilogue kind of ties it all together Uh, The next to the last chapter has about 40 uh, very well-known UFO researchers and what their conclusions were after 30 or 40 years, and it all ties in wonderfully, I think, you know, with the little layer that I'm trying to pull off, that the UFO phenomenon has something to do with our uh, consciousness and it has something to do with our technology. There apparently is a technological consciousness interface will happen at some point in time in our future that enables us to slip into a realm beyond time and space and uh, travel the universe in some realistic fashion. And um, we have mentors, you know, that are trying to uh, gently bring us to maturity 
and welcome us into the galactic community. And personally, I'm real excited about it. Speaking wow. of the future, that's awesome. Speaking of the future, we now have a new Star Trek series. And, you know, Elon Musk was talking about taking us into a Star Trek reality. Uh, Tom DeLong talks about uh, warp drive and bringing that into, instead of the 25th century, into the 21st century. Have you had a chance to look at the new Star Trek and what do you think? Because I think we're here in this reality right now, um, partly because of what Gene Roddenberry did back in the 60s. Uh, introducing oh, us to a concept of intelligent extraterrestrials. Up until that point, we had the you know the blob. Uh, the only intelligent ET had been uh, you know, the day the Earth stood still, which was in '53, I think it was, or '52 or '53 or '51. I think it was '51. Yeah. And then the, the '50s and '60s were consumed with the blob. <laughs> and uh, all those types of monster movies, Day of the Trippids, you know, all these take over the planet uh, type of things. And then finally, um, we had uh, Star Trek in 60. Uh, Star six. Trek, that, that, that series alone, the original Star Trek, uh, did more to uh, get people thinking about space travel and getting along with other species. Each one of those episodes was a moral lesson unto itself. In fact, there's a guy, I forget his name, he wrote a book, something like, Everything I Need to Know in Life I Learned from Star Trek. And Gene Roddenberry yes. himself was a big fan of Andreja Perharich's uh, channeling of the Nine. He was super fascinated with that channeled information and um, probably projected that into some of the episodes is uh, mm -hmm. you know coming from the Space Brothers, and we we have a Star Trek series. Whether you're a UFO skeptic or you've looked into the subject enough to realize there's a core reality going on, uh, Star Trek influenced everybody. Uh, you know, there's a whole generation of nerds you know that were produced by Star Trek, and you, you still today have Star Trek conventions, and you know, look at all the technology that existed in that. Uh, uh, visionary series, uh, Uhura's Bluetooth uh, system that she had in her ear, Captain Kirk's slip over right. cell phone, teleportation, yeah, holodeck, the virtual reality, I mean, everything's coming to pass. They're saying that right now you can, you can, uh, they're saying uh, everything is uh, filled with panspermia, the parent uh, 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 mechanical hypothesis. And that this you can you can travel and thinking is the only we just travel on the mu mushroom spores. They're they're doing exactly uh, uh, the uh, that's what the whole thing is based on that kind of travel, interdimensional. Yeah, that's travel. certainly that's they're yeah they're they're kind of going into it reminds me at the end of Lucy. Did you see that movie with Lucy where she um, accidentally yeah. had the intelligence or the um, well, they brought in the black whatever. goo and everything else into that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so they had uh, last week. They and I, uh, it's on CBS.com. You can stream it to, at your convenience, and I'm, I'm recommending it because it's, uh, you know, we're looking at this again <laughs> from our current technology. It's like you know, back in the '60s, uh, Gene Roddenberry said, "Well, I can only give you a 1960s version." of the future. And it was kind of like um, an extrapolation of, of, of uh, cowboys and, and, and because they had a lot of cowboy um, 
movies back in the early 60s. So we were going from Gunsmoke and Death Valley up over to Star Trek, and so that's how he gets sell it. Well, this is like a, you know, a Western in the, in the sky. So his perspective back then was only what he could see from the 60s. But now, you know, we have a 2017 version of reality, and there's all these technological changes, and all these things are being reflected. In fact, they were saying... Um, they were they were honoring people from the past, and they named a list of heroes, and they had Elon Musk in there. And it's like he got his. <laughs> so it's kind of, it was kind the of star. hilarious, but um, and right, yeah, go ahead. Or just the star looks like Michelle Obama. She's beautiful. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, so um, but you're, you're talking about how they were using this um, this mushroom or these spores or the black goo or whatever to uh, instantly go from planet to planet. So they're actually going from the, the Star Trekian reality, which was supposed to be 10 years before Kirk and Spock, and they're going way, <laughs> way out of into an, I, I guess they explain it by having, um, you know, prime reality, uh, a different timeline, right? So they're taking it to a different timeline. It's not the same. As you know, they're not converging with the timeline of Kirk and Spock. They're taking it somewhere else. So, so they're well, even, even interesting going into time variations. Yeah, go ahead. That um, you know, some of us are living in a time such that we can remember uh, what the UFO phenomena was back in the fifties with the clunky uh, metal spaceships, you know, flying around in the air, you know, kind of wobbling, you know, with the rivets. And now people are reporting. Uh, ships that look alive and they they're shape shifting and they have like internal luminosity to them and blink out of existence like you're shutting a light bulb off. We're getting closer and closer. But what haunts me is if we're at the final paradigm, you know, if if the way that we're perceiving the phenomena right now is the uh, is the final um, presentation, you know, 10, 20 years from now, you know, we might have a whole different interpretation of the phenomena. And that, and that bugs me on some level. And another weird thing is uh, Elon Musk is you know working on this Mars trip. Well, what if some of these whistleblowers are telling the truth and they encounter a human colony there that's been there since 1952? You know, and um, another uh, tie-in with Tom DeLonge and the To the Stars uh, effort that he's doing is they may be kind of panicked because Elon Musk is using old you know, 60s technology, you know, to try to get there, maybe an updated version of a chemical rocket, and they know that these anti-gravity craft have been around since 1954, and some of these top DOD people might be going, man, we really need to roll this stuff out before Elon Musk wastes his time, you know, lighting a firecracker to go to Mars. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we were talking about yesterday with William Wright Crow. It's like, uh, yeah, he... They're they're using these um, you know rockets right it's called it's called BFR which is big effing rocket right. <laughs> you know the BFR and right. so okay um, but and at the same time you know he's going to take us uh, from traveling you know to get around the planet taking days you know if I want to go to Australia it's fourteen hours and that really hurts your body. To, to traveling that distance in, you know, minutes. So even with that being a primitive technology based on what the secret space 
program. It's a hell of a lot better than what we have now. This stuff that we're flying in and driving in is a hundred year old technology, hundred plus year old technology. Was yeah, created isn't that the, funny how since the, the 1960s, things haven't changed very much. You know, we're still using these chemical rockets. And uh, something tells me that behind the scenes, they've worked on some really cool stuff. And uh, that, that, that there's people on this planet that are aware of what is really in existence. And they're seeing uh, a genius like Elon Musk use the best with what he knows that's in the public domain to make a serious attempt to travel to Mars. And right. it might have light a fire under some rear ends, you know. It's like, oh, we we can't let this happen. You know, we've got to let this technology into the public domain now, you know, before, you know, people unnecessarily lose their lives in these chemical rockets or something. We can get there in a couple of minutes right, right now. Right. We've got to do this slowly. Oh, yeah. We've got to entertain yeah. them, you know, while we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you read William Tompkins' book, right? Um, yes. Selected, Selected by, by Extraterrestrials. And apparently there's two books in the works. One one has Dr. Michael Sala uh, behind the helm, and, and so he makes things happen. I'm sure that'll get out. I'm not sure about the other people working on the books, if they, it'll get swallowed and eaten up and never come out. But uh, what, uh, you know, I got to look at <laughs> Bill Tompkins in the eyes and, you know, talk to him, and I think I at least know that he believed what he was saying, and I... And I, when I read it, I had this, you know, a lot of it's just my own vibe and intuition. That's all I can go by because there's so much information and disinformation out there. But I have very good instincts and very strong intuition and I'm psychic on many levels. And I'm not 100%, but I've got a, a good batting average. And Bill Tompkins was talking about these ships, which are like the size that um, Elon Musk is talking about. He's talking about taking... What was it? Uh, you know, a couple hundred people at a time. So we're going to go from, you know, these shuttles. How many? What's the most people that was on a shuttle? What was that? Five, six, seven? Yeah. How many know. could the shuttle um, get up? I don't know. We don't know. William Tompkins and was a, an amazing phenomenon, wasn't it? That he surfaced and then transitioned shortly after his public appearance at the age of 95, Bobby. I think. But he was talking about uh, back in 1974 building uh, what was supposed to be a nuclear submarine and then sailing them out into the middle of the ocean, trading the nuclear power plant with an anti-grav and flying out into outer space. So uh -huh. you yeah. get somebody that tells a fantastic story like that, and then you, it ties in with another credible figure, Robert M. Wood, you know, ex-aerospace engineer who worked in the same facilities as William Tompkins. And the one thing I like about Dr. Sala's work is that he uh, ties all the dots together. You know, he's uh, doing comparisons between Mark Ralph and early 20 and backstory and Corey Good and uh, Randy Kramer and... Um, William Tompkins bringing in his material and trying to formulate a, a bigger picture into it. So I think Dr. Sala is doing an excellent job in the field of exopolitics to uh, absorb information without judgment and try to tie the dots together. But William Tompkins, one of the unusual things that he said was that he suspected some of his secretaries were Nordics, you know, from another world, and that they telepathically influenced him to come up with some of the ideas that he did. And he's not the first person in history to say that. Guglielmo Marconi and Nikola Tesla said the same doggone thing, that they had a higher well, intelligence yes. affecting their mentality. Yeah, he, 
he said that. Yeah, he, he had said, no doubt. He, he put yeah, his, go ahead. He put, he put his her hand on my shoulder, and uh, she conveyed the answer to me, and I knew what to do then. And I never, whenever yeah. I was stuck, she would put her hand on and, and, and lean and touch me like that, and I would know what to say. Yeah, he was, Some uh, of the other... he was in constant telepathic communication. I mean, not only if it was relied upon touch, it was like when they were in the same room and, and they were doing these uh, these meetings and they were uh, stuck and, and then he would just, uh, she would just send it to him and, and he said, I knew the answer, I knew it was coming from her. Uh, they, she was the, um, uh, what do they call it, the, the, the ones from the Nazis, the, the extremely different, the what Burrell. do they call those? Yeah, Brill. She was a Brill. And uh, so he was looking at me, and he goes, there's something about you. And so we were talking on this level, um, because his third eye shock was open, and he's, he's able to receive telepathic communication. Now, I'm a lifelong experiencer, and I've had, I have ongoing telepathic communication. I get downloads, I'm, and he's there, you, you've got it too. And it's your, your third eye crown chakra are able to receive and send information. So he was telling me, he says, I'm always connected to them. It's not like I have to be in a room or near me or anything. I'm always getting this information, these downloads, and there, and you know. So he was being watched over. Now I don't know what happened that he died, but I saw him within three weeks of his death. And at one point, I had to grab uh, his wife's wheelchair because they were late getting to the panel discussion panel. So I said, and I looked at the clock, and they weren't even paying attention and nobody from the conference came to get them and I said come on we got to get you over to the panel uh, so I helped his wife get into her wheelchair and I started pushing and I, I looked over and I said Bill let's go are you, are you with me and this 95 year old man is running across the um, this this big casino and it's very complicated you know we have to weave in between all these um, you know uh, slot machines and machines and I looked over and I said, are you okay? And he wasn't even winded. <laughs> He's running alongside of me. And uh, so I'm really suspicious about he fell because he was very agile and very healthy. In fact, he was so happy the entire conference. I ended up getting the, the, the uh, table right across from him. I was I was thinking going to Vegas. I go, oh, I, I certainly hope I get to have a conversation. And when I'm setting up my table, I look over and there's his name. There's Bill Tompkins and Bob Wood. I went, uh, bingo, we hit it, you know, jackpot, we hit jackpot. So I got to hang out with him a lot, and he was so happy. He was like a 50-year-old. He was just bouncing off the wall and running around, and his wife was worried he's going to have a heart attack, and it's like, no, he's enjoying himself like a kid in a candy store. But I don't know. I don't want to say somebody killed him, but geez, you know, I don't think he fell and hit his head twice, but well, I wasn't there. And there's no information coming out about it, so who knows? Well, there's so many cases like that, you know, James Forrestal, Phil Schneider, uh, you know, you name it. I mean, they look like uh, natural death or suicide, and, you know, the forces that be took him out. You'll just never know. We will yeah. never know. John Mack. But, yeah. John oh, Mack. yeah, John Mack. Yeah, yeah. Gets hit as a but, pedestrian. You know, yeah, yeah, that was crazy. In Harrington, suddenly yeah. they get this. 
cancer. Morris K. Jessup. Oh, yeah, the cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Morris K. Jessup was found in a car, and uh, some reports say that there was men in suits walking away from the car previous to that, so who knows? Yeah. All right, well, we're coming up, Bobby. It's uh, 3.42 on my clock, so uh, we're going to be ending uh, soon here. Let's focus on what do we want to convey to our listeners? What information do we need to get out to them on this show? Well, it's an exciting time to be involved with ufology. And uh, whether you believe or not, you've been influenced by the UFO culture. If you dance to hip hop, the new Wabian cult, you know, <laughs> brought you your music. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> you got to open your eyes and pay attention. You know, this thing with Tom DeLonge is uh, interesting. You've got a lot of whistleblowers like Arthur Newman and uh, various individuals, you know, coming out of the woodwork that are making claims that they were involved in these secret organizations uh, conveying information. And since we none of us have first-hand experience, um, it's up to each individual to be their own Sherlock Holmes to decipher truth from fiction. And I even like a good hoax now and then, because for somebody to be a good huckster or profiteer, they've got to have something of value that people were attracted to to even get where they're at. So I'm even interested oh. in what they have to say. But yeah. I think we have a yeah. I think we have a positive future. Humanities. You know, moving into a positive intergalactic civilization, I do think that we're going to achieve a, what Michio Kaku calls a Type One civilization, a unified world. And a lot of people are freaked out by that and think that we can't even get along with each other, much less the whole world. But I think it'll happen at some point, and uh, we will make it through the singularity without the nefarious forces taking us down into oblivion. And I'm looking forward to a uh, futuristic Star Trek-type society, and I hope to be a part of it, either in this incarnation or my next. Way cool. Right on. So yeah. Let's, let's the I'd say let, you know, let, let the challenges that uh, you face take you to the highest octave that you're capable of. Right. That's the goal. Just do be the best you that you can be, and there isn't anything that anybody can do more than that. So there's no sense in uh, being full of fear or panicking, uh, but there's some big things that are going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years, uh, maybe even sooner. So keep your eyes open. Look at the sky. You know, Watch the news. The UFO phenomenon is real. I know there's a lot of hucksterism out there and disinformation, but just be patient because the truth of the the core truth of the phenomena is going to rise like cream to the top, and I think it's going to happen in our lifetimes, and it's a very exciting time to live. Right, and uh, William White Crow on yesterday's show was, and he knows he's been he's been on the uh, what do you call it the TR. There's a name for it, the, the different craft. There's the one that's a, a triangle. It's got the TR3B, and then there's the SR or something, which is the, the Phoenix Aurora. Light. The Phoenix Light. The Phoenix Light vehicle was uh, human. It was reverse engineered human, and that's the vehicle that they've used to take uh, the colonies, people to the colonies outside of the solar system. So we already have two major uh, establishments, and then we had another 
I'll uh, whistleblower on. He said that he's been on Ceres. So the whole solar system is uh, colonized and um, and even Wouldn't beyond, you know, pretty close to us. Yeah. So okay, yeah, then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he said that we're so close to the level one. Go, go ahead. Just that there, there are there are heroes from the Earth who died on Mars uh, in our uh, uh, you know who are real. Uh, they're people who have been working for this uh, this advanced military and not getting their back pay. And the most enjoyable thing for me, in a way, is that there seems to be a faction of the Navy that's running a space program. That's really protecting Earth. That's doing good by us. That wants us to survive. That there's good guys on our side, and it's really great. I love it. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah. It makes so your research pay off. You know, if you, if you've spent a lot of time with your nose in books, uh, it's starting to pay off because you can interpret the events that are unfolding in the world, you know, from an interesting vantage point because you know the whole history of the UFO phenomena mm-hmm. going back to the late 1800s and even back thousands of years ago. And if it's coming to some big head or big fruition, um, it's an exciting time to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. So let's imagine this. What do you what do you imagine this is going to look like based on all your research and information and where we were and where we're going to and what's coming down the line right now? Uh-oh. What do you think? How is this going to pan out? Um, you know, we've got uh, this new thing with Tom DeLonge and uh, Elon Musk and things are accelerating uh, so rapidly. Well, what do you think? Since I think it's true that they've already got stuff a thousand years in advance of what most people think we've got, uh, let's just say that the organization is going to be real successful, that they're going to be pumping out stuff, and the general public will probably be thinking that it's due to their efforts that they're inventing this stuff, but they're really just rolling it out. (laughs) It's been around for a while. And I think people are going to be shocked, but the way that they're going about it is a, a really interesting thing with the entertainment fictional uh, standpoint of introducing the uh, general public into the UFO phenomena and all the different case study histories, incidences and sightings like Steve, uh, the Falcon Lake incident and the Cash Landrum and all that's going to be dramatized, you know, so people that don't know anything about UFOlogy are going to catch up to speed with the people that have already been interested in it for a while. And um, that's going to generate a lot of popular interest out there. And then when it's backed up... You heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. Twelve ninety nine per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.